This is the Michigan Business Network. Hi, I'm Vic Versero, and I'm so glad you found the Leadership Lowdown. And today we found a guest that I think you're going to really enjoy and have an opportunity to get to know a little bit better. He has a tremendous story. His name is Dr. Hihad Mustafa, and welcome to our show. Glad to have you, good doctor. Oh, thank you so much, Chick. And uh, this is going to be fun. So I think so. Me as Jihad Mustafa. My name is Jihad Mustafa. Very good. You know, that famous name that everyone loves at airports. <laughs> uh, so, Jihad Mustafa. I am originally from Lebanon. I came to the United States when I was about 16 years old. And oh, I landed in New York, JFK. Yeah. Currently, I am a physician trained in interventional cardiology and vascular medicine and vascular intervention. And I practice in West Michigan. I'm married to a American lady because that was my deal with my father before I left my country. <laughs> I have beautiful twins, blonde, blue eyes, and a young boy that looks just like me. So my father is also like complected. How about that? And we have fun every day. And I love what I do in my practice. And uh, here we are, Vic. Well, it's so good to have you here, and it's so good to have you in doing your services and bringing it all here to the United States. We've got a little bit of time here with our different segments, so I want to go back. When you came to the United States from Lebanon, were you all alone? Did you come with family? Tell me about that. I wish I had somebody. No, actually, I came by myself. Oh, my. And I landed at JFK at 4 p.m. and had $80 with me, and I had a phone number to call. And uh, didn't speak any English at all. I spoke French, fluent in French and Arabic at the time. And I heard a bunch of kids speaking French. They were on a trip from France to the United States. So I went to the kids and started speaking to them in French. And they helped me dial the number because I didn't know how to dial it at the time. <laughs> so I called someone, a number my father had sat with me. And who was on the other end of the line when you called? Who were you calling? Actually, I don't know. The guy, the guy doesn't know me. I just said, my father is so-and-so, and your father is so-and-so, and I was supposed to call you to pick me up and help me, you know, get on with my life. So, was the really interesting part is, the guy said, well, let me talk to the other person that speaks English also. So, they made a deal and got back with him on the phone, and he said, he's going to take you somewhere and make you sit. You're going to wait for me till I get there. So, I waited for four hours. <laughs> And he came, picked me up, and actually the, nice, the nicest thing he ever did, this guy, he's a wonderful guy. On the way driving to New York and seeing all these big buildings, he said to me, look, this is America, it's not like back home. Here, everybody takes care of themselves. So tomorrow, 6 a.m., you're going to get up and you're going to start selling umbrellas, and you're going to start making money and find a way to live on your own and go on. So I can't support you. So that, oh, wow. that was actually really the nicest thing he ever did to me because right away, you know, I grew up from, actually, I wasn't even 16. I had like 20 days during 16, maybe. So I grew up quickly. But actually, the second day, we did get up at 6, and I was selling umbrella by 6 berries, umbrellas, and it wasn't raining. <laughs> And I sold my two boxes umbrella by 10.30 a.m. Well, again, let me just paint this picture. We got a 15-year-old that doesn't speak English in America, and he's selling umbrellas to earn his keep to people, and it's not raining. So how'd that no, go? it wasn't raining. That was my favorite part. <laughs> well, how'd it go? You must have been a heck of a salesman. <laughs> well, you know, I had this sort of like, I'm not sure what it is, but I um, have this ability to look at somebody, and I can tell if that person is going to be receptive or not. 
And, you know, I'm six feet tall, six one, something like this, and scrawny, really skinny, black hair, dark hair, and all skin color. So I chose people based on how I look. And I was actually successful in it. <laughs> and I sold the umbrellas, and they, initially they were ignoring me, kept walking, and I kept saying the only two words that I was taught is $2. So, <laughs> so I kept saying $2. And after like, Six to eight beats, my average. I start, and my brain is mathematical brain, physics. So everything is calculation. So after eight feet, if they haven't bought it from me, I walked away. So I got a method immediately within like an hour of being there. And I sold the boxes and the guy comes about 12 o'clock to pick up the boxes, you know, thinking that's going to be full. They're empty. And he's like, well, okay, we can go home now. I said, no, can we get another two boxes and I can sell them. Yeah. And he did. He got me two more boxes and I sold them. And from that day on, I just never looked back. I've actually been working since then. Oh, that's amazing. That's incredible. You know, and I have to tell you that part of the story that I hope we unpack is that, you know, I believe that you've had an interesting start in your world and you are hopefully, as I see it, all the trappings of success in today's world, living as a doctor and doing some great things. And we're going to learn more about that as we unfold your story and the story right here on the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Versero. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back. for a home equity line of credit? Ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to laughq.com slash home equity. LaughQ, your credit union for life. Welcome back. This is the Leadership Lowdown right here on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Versero and so grateful that we found Jihad Mustafa, who is Dr. Mustafa, who's doing great things here in America, but he didn't necessarily start with a silver spoon in his mouth. He came, as we just learned in our first segment, as a 15-year-old boy selling umbrellas. And I want to pick it up right there. You're out there on the streets and trying to find your way. Tell me what happens next. What's in your mind? What are your dreams? Where do you think you're headed? Well, in my mind, I finished high school early. In our country, you have three pathways, right? You take an exam and they put you in a path. And mine was physics and math. And my dream was to be a physicist, you know, any kind of physicist. So, you know, I kept working, saving money and started to go to school at night to learn English. And then three months later, my brother, who's 18 months older than me, came to the country. And, you know, in our culture, you know, we have a prearranged marriages. So my father had arranged a marriage for my brother and I, okay. but I was not 18 yet. So we went from New York to Detroit, 
where his future wife is going to be and they're getting engaged. But within two or three months of being here, he got robbed and shot and killed. Oh, my word. And so I had to arrange for him to go back home because oh. he has to be buried within a certain period of time. And, you know, God gives you strength in times like this. And there's no time for me to do anything but to find a way to get him back home. So I did. And uh, he went back home. I, you know, I always say it's not fair for any parent to bury their child. So true. So I went on starting to work different jobs because now I'm in Michigan. So I started working at big boys, cleaning the bathrooms and et cetera. And sure. then moved up to bus boy, et cetera. And, you know, it was good. And then I get that call from my father saying, which I expected really. It's like, your brother died, your mom's heart is broken. We want you to be a doctor so you can fulfill his dream. Because he's the one that wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> wow. And uh, I got to tell you, that was really the hardest thing to hear. Because I've taken my first class in physics and been like only a month and a half in it. And I'm really excited. So that changed my life. And really, you know, I respect my parents so much. And they're so wonderful. I switched direction 180 degrees and became pre-med. Then I went to med school and became a doctor. Well, let me ask you about a cultural thing, if I could. You know. That's a pretty powerful thing to have a young man with your own plans, your own work ethic. Things are happening here in this country. Tragedy befalls your family, but your dad asks you if you'll go another direction. That's a pretty big ask, and that's a pretty big gift that you did for him on his behalf in honor of his family. Is that culture? Is that the way you were raised? Is it just in your heart? It just felt right. You know, it's in my heart. It's the way my father raised us. He always taught us to be selfless, and his vision has always been that God gives and God takes. You know, that's just the way it is. And if you can give, it's much better than if you receive. And he really implanted that in us. And he taught us to always be given from the heart and not look back. Don't expect anything in return. And, you know, when he asked me that question, really, all the teaching that he's taught me all my life, this is my opportunity to give without expecting anything in return and really did not say anything to my father except I'm honored that you asked me and I went ahead and did it. Wow. I think that's incredible. And I think it's just amazing. So at this point in time, your world turns 180 degrees. You're now headed down the medical path. And then tell me about that. Was getting accepted into the schools, was that difficult? You're not a citizen of the United States (laughs) at this point, right? No, I was not. And it was not easy, actually, because you see, being a scientific mind all my life and my schooling is math and physics, math and physics and chemistry. And suddenly, like, I'm taking English classes and other classes. Everything is foreign to me suddenly, you know. <laughs> right. So I got a C in the first time in my life uh, in English. <laughs> and biology, I struggled. But you know what? Perseverance always pays off. And I knew that I have no other options. My alternatives are nothing. I don't have an alternative, really. Yeah, right. Other options. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I worked uh, two jobs and calculated how many hours of sleep and study and etc. And to be honest with you, Vic, you put your mind to the obstacle in front of you and you can decide to make an obstacle that you can't get over and you sit there and mope around or you can just climb the obstacle as a challenge and see what's on the other side. And actually, that's what I did. I kept looking to see what's another side of the obstacle. So my brother died, you know, that was the big obstacle for me. And of course, you know, everyone that loses a brother or a sibling, you know, they think the world is over. But but 
then again, you know, I look, you know, what, what can I do with this now yeah. on my own? Same thing with the obstacle of shifting into a material study that I'm not familiar with. So I turned that into an obstacle and a challenge and overcame that. And then financial-wise, I had to work so hard to pay for schooling. So what I did, like, I went and looked for the cheapest school in Michigan. It's called Wayne Community College. Okay. And I'm proud of it. I really am. <laughs> Because, you know, everyone was going to University of Michigan or Michigan State, or, but I can't afford it. No, no. So I looked at the cheapest school, and actually, if you went to Wayne County downtown, it's about $4 cheaper per credit. So that's what I did, and I did two years in Wayne County Community College, and then went to Wayne State. Well, it couldn't have worked out any better. Honestly, with with that kind of an opportunity, you made a wise decision again, and look what happened. Well, we're going to continue down this path to learn more about your amazing journey, and we're so glad you're with us here on the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Versero. We're going to go pay some bills and come right back. The attorneys of Foster Swift, Collins & Smith offer legal counsel to businesses, families, individuals, and municipalities throughout Michigan with offices in Lansing, Farmington Hills, Grand Rapids, Detroit, Marquette, and Holland. Clients know they can count on Foster Swift for all their legal needs, from straightforward wills to sophisticated business transactions and complex litigation. Learn more about Foster Swift and how they can assist you at fosterswift.com. This is the Leadership Lowdown and the Michigan Business Network. So glad you tuned in to hear us talking to the amazing Jihad Mustafa. He's a doctor doing great things here in the United States, but we're learning about his journey and what got him to where he's at. And it sounds like hard work is pretty much the key in overcoming adversity. I want to pull aside just for a second because, again, not my experience. I've only been in Michigan, traveled a lot, but I've only lived in Michigan. And in my mind, it's the place I want to be. You've come from a foreign land. You get here as a 15-year-old boy. You overcome so many different things. Your older brother comes and joins you, and then you lose him in a tragic, violent incident. And so, oh my gosh, at this point in time, were you or your family holding that against the United States, feeling like this is not the country we had held it up as? What was going through the family's mind at that point in time? Didn't they beg you to come home? Oh, no, not for a second, actually. In, in fact, my parents were grateful for this country and the opportunity the country gave me. I'm alive. If I had stayed back home, probably me and my brother would both be killed. Mm-hmm. I mean, at age at the time, uh, you're a prime target for whatever political reason that was going on. I didn't understand it back then. All I knew that I had to leave. And when I left, I left on my own. I couldn't be with my parents. Yeah. We were separated. Oh. So, but you know, my parents embraced this country before I even came here. And they told me that this is the country that you should be able to succeed in. And I want to say this. I mean, how can you fail in America? You can't. You know, this is the country that allows you to work at night and go to school. And if you work hard here, you will always find the results. There's always something that comes back after working hard. There's no reason for me to fail and my father sort of implanted that in my head. And then when I came here, I found it. It's real. I worked hard. 
I received reward and I started to actually sort of implant. This became sort of a way of life for me. The harder I work, the more I achieve. Then I learned in that process, you know, that I know math and physics very well. So why don't I just actually tutor that instead of being well, it's a big boy, right? Yeah. So I jumped into that wagon and I started tutoring physics and math. And I was getting $7 an hour now. And remember, $7 an hour at the time, that was a lot. That was pretty, so, you're right. What time frame would this have been? The 80s? Yeah, 87. Yes, 87, yes, yes. Yes. Well, $7 and, is mighty fine money then. Oh my goodness. Actually, I purchased my first Big Mac then. That was <laughs> the first, when I had my first session of tutoring physics. And I got to tell you, that was the meal that I still remember. It sort of, I don't know, has this special meaning. Then as I started tutoring physics and math and that kind of gave me additional funds, additional money. So I started taking 21 credits instead of 12 or 14 because oh money gosh. was a limited And, and these are not easy credits either. These are 21 big boy credits. They are. The good thing for me is I did the hard ones, English and, you know, gosh, political science, etc. That way, how many and the calculus, physics, and all that stuff. With the pre-med stuff, Wayne State. So it kind of worked out really well. The one thing I couldn't pass easy is something called English proficiency. I failed that a few times. And then every time I failed it, I felt that the world just crumbled on me. Oh, and sure. it was a shame. And, you know, then I realized, like, you know, here I am, a guy who speaks two languages. And we have to speak French at uh, fifth grade in our country. You can't speak Arabic anymore. Then I realized, like, 50% of the classmates that were with me failed. And they're American, born and raised here. I'm like, okay, then I can do better. And I start taking tutoring because I tutor others. I figured there must be somebody that tutors yeah. to take this. So I start doing tutoring. And finally, by the time I passed it, I already actually moved on. So I couldn't get into med school here. You know, I couldn't pass that exam, couldn't graduate officially. So there's a school called St. George in Granada, in Granada that takes people with a degree without the proficiency exam. So I got accepted, and after a year there, I used to come up here every four months, take it and go down. And finally, I passed it after one year. <laughs> and when I passed it, then I transferred back to New York. It's a thing, you know, med school stuff here in the U.S. And I did some in Europe. And I was wanted to actually learn the system in the U.K., United Kingdom. And four years later, I was done with med school. And quite frankly, Vic, never, ever... That I stop and look back anything except looking forward, excited, happy, because I just, everywhere you look around you in the United States, you find opportunities. And honestly, it's like a candy store. I wanted to do everything at once, but I have a promise that I made to my father. So I had to become a doctor. So anyway, years later, I became a doctor, called him, so I finished. I'm a doctor now. <laughs> and so that wasn't was not enough because I was thinking I finished become a doctor then go back and do physics. Uh, yeah, and even with a second request, which is to become a specialist in cardiology, which my brother has always been interested in. Well, I can't wait to hear the rest of that story and continue down this path. I am delighted to learn about the character that you have, and most importantly, I think the way your attitude has just lifted you through difficult, challenging starts and kept you focused and appreciative of this great country we live in. Thanks so much for being with us today, and thanks so much for tuning in to the Leadership Lowdown. This is Vic Versero right here on the Michigan Business Network.
Wilson Air has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sinair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sinair.com. This is the Michigan Business Network, and you found the Leadership Lowdown, and we found Dr. Jihad Mustafa. He is an amazing story as an inspiration to us Americans that don't sometimes realize just what a gem of a country and opportunity that we have. And I'm learning now at this point in time in our story, you've got a situation where you're now a doctor, and I think what you're thinking about doing is honoring your deceased brother's dream of getting into cardiology. Is that kind of where you're at in your path? Yes, I am in that position, and so I went ahead and did the did what I needed to do, which is internal medicine and cardiology. What I just told you took me about seven years to do. But when I got into cardiology, I started to realize the relationship between math, physics, and medicine. And I sort of combined the two together and started to really enjoy what I'm doing so much. And with that, you know, I feel like I've delivered everything I promised my father and my brother. And now it's time to maybe take it a step further. So, you know, instead of just saying, okay, done, deliver things, I was like, well, I can do a lot of great things with this. So I started to invent things and I had my first invention patent for the age of 30. And then from then on, the money I got from this patent, I uh, did not spend a penny of it on myself. I actually used it to ban other ideas and devices. And now I hold you know, large number of patents and companies. But, but, you know, this is where you actually get at a road where there's a fork now. You have to decide which way you want to go. And do you want to choose a path of money and just work and make money? Or do you choose a path of where you follow your passion? And, man, was so passionate about what I was doing at the time, which is peripheral vascular disease. And that is something that was new, was not very well studied by people like myself. So I got into this fellowship that called Vascular Intervention. And I got to tell you, it's almost like falling in love with something new really? in medicine. So I was still a great cardiologist, loved it, did it. I did this fellowship in Vascular Intervention. And from there, I've dedicated my life since then, actually, to improve the quality of life for people, prevent amputation. Because amputation is not about losing a limb. Amputation is about preserving a life. Actually, you know, if you have a heart attack, you have a chance to live a lot longer than if you have an amputation. And once I understood that, I dedicated my career to improve the way we treat patients with this disease. Well, you know what I thought was really interesting, and this is really where you and I came across paths. I was actually at one of your clinics, and one of your individuals that was helping me with some vascular issues in my legs indicated to me that 15 years ago, we probably would have been amputating a leg. And that caught my attention. I said, excuse me? <laughs> so all of a sudden, now I'm at your clinic and things have changed. It must be because, and as I understand it, you're doing some cutting-edge things that are just not going on in other clinics. I have that right, correct? Correct. So what we did is start to take ideas that have been built for the coronaries and ideas that were done surgically. And, you know, the ability of combining them together came easy to me. So I started to develop new techniques to treat patients with the disease. 
but also, you know, when I looked for devices that I need to use for the patients to treat them, they weren't available. So I would just invent them. And <laughs> I'm not saying I invented everything that we need, we use today, but I invented enough stuff that made my life easier and others easier. And but the technical aspect of it, though, we started to really innovate and develop techniques, tips and tricks that I would say probably there's 50 of us right now, maybe if I'd say worldwide or maybe in the country that can do these things only. And all of us are trying really hard to spread this knowledge worldwide because yeah, my actually vascular assistant told you the right thing. Had you gone somewhere else with what was going on with you, you probably would have got an invitation. So 42% of our patients that come to us come from out of state. Wow. And come for because they've already been told you're going to get an amputation. Uh, so the majority of our patients that come to us, they already have been told uh, your only option is an amputation. And then our limb salvage rate is not 100%, but it's 98%. That's after somebody has told a patient you're going to have it. Your only option is an amputation. And yet we have a 98% limb salvage rate. Or amputation prevention. I want to stand on that stat just for a second and make sure I understand it. You're telling me that people that have come to your clinic that have been told that this limb needs to go, you've got a 98% salvage rate. And today, those same people are walking around or standing around with their full limbs. Right? That's what you said. That is what I'm saying. That's extraordinary. And you know, what gives me joy in my work is to see somebody coming out of a procedure sometimes, so scared to listen to what I have to say. And I always make an effort to smile as I walk toward <laughs> my patients because I know what they're scared of. You know, yeah. they already have told me before they went to the operating room that they've been told, you know, your only option is an amputation. And, you know, if we come out and we say, everything's going to be fine, you're not going to lose your leg, you're going to have it forever, or you're going to be fine for a while. And... The smile and the relief in their face is priceless. Makes you want to dance, and so many of them are right now, thanks to the fact that they got to know you and your (laughs) clinic. That is just great news. It's so good to have you sharing your story and this information. Man, it was a great day when you came to America because so many things in a great way have happened since you've arrived. So congratulations on that, and congratulations for tuning in to Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network. We'll be right back. Physicians Health Plan is local. For 35 years, we've been a part of your community, and we take pride in helping you get the coverage, care, and personal service you deserve. Go to phpmichigan.com for more information. We're the health plan that works for you. This is the Michigan Business Network right here on the Leadership Lowdown. We're having such a great afternoon talking to Jihad Mustafa. He is a doctor doing some amazing work here in the United States. In our last segment, we realized that what happens here is that Dr. Mustafa has gone a different direction, away from the modern norms of the rest of the medical group that's around him. And he's doing some things that are making a difference. 98% of the limbs that he's dealing with, he's been able to salvage and keep those out dancing and doing their thing. That's extraordinary. But I have to ask, I guess, there must be some challenges when you fly in the winds of the norms, the medical norms, and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we got to rethink this and go in a different direction. Tell me, has there been some challenges by you doing things differently? Oh, boy, Vic, 
You're a very brilliant man asking <laughs> that question. Because as you know, when you start to doing things out of the ordinary, there are two ways of people looking at you. There are those that have the big picture, big vision, that will embrace the change because they can see the results of it. Yep. And there are those that are limited and unable to perform what you're performing, then they don't embrace it and they become the opposition. And I can tell you the first few lens that I saved in my career when I started working here at Grand Rapids. And I had to sit in front of the board of the hospital and I had to like justify why did I save someone's leg? Why did I treat this artery? Why did I go to, below the knee? Because <laughs> back then, you're not allowed to touch anything below the knee. Right. The ankle, but I was trained to do that. And so actually I had to sit in front of the board so many times. It got to a point that, you know, I told him if you have a different way of doing it or saving a limb, tell me and I can do it. But if you don't, let me teach you. And that didn't go so well with some of the people that are sitting around the table. And, you know, I decided to, from that point on, that I'm just going to lead the way. I'm not going to be walking behind them because they're not seeing the picture here oh you know we have an old saying that is lead follower get out of the way you know and i think that's what you're doing right absolutely you know and just two weeks later after that meeting i started my own meeting it's called the amputation prevention symposium and that would be 13 years now today i started this meeting and now it's the biggest meeting in the world to come and learn on how to preserve limbs and prevent amputation actually because of that meeting with those guys the board members, the naysayers, the opposition that are still fighting me today, actually, even though I wrote the first two textbooks on the subject because I went to buy a book to read on it. There's nothing. <laughs> nothing. No one's doing anything about it. <laughs> right. So I wrote the first textbooks on it and I wrote the second one. And actually, they read them now. But <laughs> to show you, like, there was nothing for me to learn from. So innovation and advancement in technology was the only way. So having started this meeting in Chicago, which now is a worldwide meeting, so we have it in America we have it as well. And the opposition in the West Michigan area is still opposition, but outside of here, I'm a hero, right? Nah. So I'm not surprised at all, actually. That's exactly what I expect. Isn't that and, so uh, It is like that everywhere, though. I mean, you know, in your area, you view it as being a threat, right? Yeah. Instead of being somebody that offering something good to patients. My patients are amazing. I actually love my patients to death. I love their smile. I love when they walk into my... When I go teach in China, Australia, Europe, anywhere I go teach, I'm received with open arms and have great relationships a lot or across the globe. But you know, when I come here and I see few people that are still frowning or opposing my ways, in a way though, their partners come to trained by me but in secrets right because they don't want their bosses to know sure yeah. so i just laugh at it actually and i say you know eventually everybody's gonna have to follow because the work i've done so far Vic, is now in the literature has been published some of the stuff will make the guidelines so what i've done it's not really a cowboy work like a cowboy i've never been a cowboy actually i've always been a very methodical scientific guy because you know a mathematical brain is a brain that only acts in algorithmic fashion. So I don't do anything irrational. Everything has to be rational and scientific. And I think that is what drove me to become who I am today. 
the last thing I did is, this is really the best part, is when I started to see some oppositions from the bigger societies, what I'm doing. And I started my own society. It's called the CLI Society, which is Critical Linux Schemia Society. And that has become a global society and a big society <laughs> worldwide. So again, like you said, Vic, either walk with me or move out of the way and let me lead. And uh, I'm the kind of guy that, like a bulldozer, if I see something right in front of me that I have to get to, yeah. I got to get to Put it in four-wheel low, just keep on going. I just love that. You know, and it's interesting to me because as I'm listening to this story, part of what you shared is the whole notion of some of these medical professionals have laughed at you and scoffed at you and done some strange things. My mind went back to your discussion earlier about going through airports with the name <laughs> Jihad as your name, and you think about all of these things. It just comes down to people being naive and not open-minded enough to say, well, tell me about the what-ifs on this, because you've got an extraordinary track record of doing some amazing things, and it's worldwide, and you're right here with us on the Michigan Business Network. I'm grateful for that. Grateful you tuned in to Leadership Lowdown. We'll be right back after these messages. Michigan Works Association believes the key to advancing prosperity across the state is accomplished through building a skilled workforce. As the state's primary workforce development association, their focus is to continue to move the needle on policy, education, and collaboration. They're creating an opportunity and building stronger communities by advocating and innovating together. This is our final segment right here on the Leadership Lowdown, right here on the Michigan Business Network. And Dr. Jihad Mustafa is sharing some amazing journey and amazing things he's done. And I have to ask, in what we've talked about from a 15-year-old boy that came here all alone with 80 bucks in his pocket and a telephone number and no family to receive him, and he started selling umbrellas. And what's all this journey that you've just shared with us, you've ended up making some incredible changes that have saved amputations. And by virtue of what we know statistically that if we get amputations, the chances of death within the next five years is a grave, serious consequence that happens way too much in that scenario. So I have to ask you, there's an awful lot of people in America that would head for the couch, kick up their feet and pop their favorite beverage and say, I've done a lot, I feel pretty good. And I have to ask you, is there anything that's still eating at you or burning in your heart that says, man, I feel good. I think we're making progress, but I just don't know. Is there anything that you're struggling with that you haven't quite got done yet? You know, Vic, yes. Yes. And I, and I don't think I'll ever stop. But one of the biggest heartbreaks for me right now is the scientific fact, and this is a fact, in the United States and also in Europe and around the globe, you know, you can have two hostels that are five miles apart. And in one hospital, the amputation rate would be, let's see, 20 to 30% for patients that have the same disease in those patients that are in the second hospital that is five miles away from them. And the amputation rate in the other hospital would be probably 5% or less. 
what breaks my heart is I see this all around the world and around our nation is the egos of those physicians that know that you know somebody in this other hospital that's five miles away can save this human being's leg who's only 40 years old. I know that this person, he or she can save their leg, but I'm not going to send them there. I'm just going to amputate their leg. That is my pet peeve. That is actually the saddest thing, the most heartbreaking. And the American Diabetes Association right now is working on this. Big initiative is going on. And actually, most hospitals in the United States will have to answer to bigger calling than me, actually. It's the government, it's CMS, it's the American Diabetes Association. Because if you ever take a leg today without having looked at every possible way of saving it, you have to explain why you did that at one point. And that's common. And, you know, I didn't do this. I I can't take credit for it. But the American Diabetes Association put out a report recently showing that the amputation rate and death from it in the United States is going up by 2% year after year over the last four years. And the age of death and amputation for these patients has decreased from 60 to 80, that was the average age, down to 40 to 60. Oh my. 40 to 60. And that is a crime. Anyone that has been told you need an amputation, just get up and walk away. We'll get a second opinion anywhere else, you know, yeah. Come to our clinic, go anywhere else you go, you can go. Get a second opinion. There's always a way to save your leg. The technology and the techniques and what's available today, it's a crime to lose a limb. And the American Diabetes Association, and go on the website and you can see, they say 85 to 90% of amputated legs could have been saved. That is, the, I want to repeat this giant. actually. Yeah. 85 well, to 90% of of amputated legs, it could have been saved. And thank God for you in that you're out there doing that and spreading the word on it. And of course, if you happen to know somebody or if you are in those conversations and you say, ah, wait a minute, I heard something about another alternative. How do they find your clinics? How do they find this information? Tell me, where do they go? We're located in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Lansing. And the address in Grand Rapids is 1525 East Line, Suite 101. And that's in Grand Rapids, Michigan, 49525. And then in Lansing, we're located at 3370 East Jolly Road, Lansing, Michigan, 48910. And if you're in desperate need and you need to reach somebody right away, call 616 648 2043. Well, I love that. I have to put a little sidebar personal story in here. Having dealt with your Lansing Clinic, they are such a fun, loving, energetic, great staff. And that's got to be because of your leadership and the way you (laughs) allow them to have some fun with their day. Everything from the laughter and just kind of the fun spirit that goes on in there doesn't feel like doom and gloom when you're in there. It feels like we're fixing people and making them feel better. I think that's pretty cool. You know, thank you, Vic, for saying that. You know, I really admire all of them. They are so thirsty for knowledge. They read all the time. And they know what they're doing is beyond just saving the limb. Yeah. They know they're saving yeah. someone's life. And they understand that. And I love their positive attitude. It starts with me. 
and them. I'm not saying I give it to them, but I love the positive interaction with them and the positive attitude. And that comes from my days living on the streets in New York. You know, you had to really develop a thick skin and be positive all the time. Otherwise, you know, you can turn the other way. So I'm always positive and optimistic and our results are great. And so are they. And I love being, you know, you like being around them. I love being around them as well because they're always like this, happy and outgoing. Well, I have to tell you, when I first met you, I knew that you were special. But now, after hearing your story and unpacking this, you are extraordinary. On behalf of America and all the limbs you've saved and the people's lives that you've changed, thank you, because it makes a difference, and you are extraordinary. I'm so grateful to know you. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you for this great opportunity. All the best, and thanks for tuning in to the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I can't wait to talk to you next time. Michigan.